Hey guys, welcome back to the Bible Podcast with Hunter Davis. Today we'll be in Matthew chapter 18, beginning with the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Verse 1. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? So, this question was asked by the disciples. They wanted to know who the greatest in the kingdom of heaven was. But the question revealed a serious misunderstanding on their part about the nature of God's kingdom. And in light of Jesus' recent and repeated predictions of his own death and teaching on self-denial, the question seemed highly inappropriate. See, Mark's gospel tells us that the disciples had been discussing this question amongst themselves. Luke even tells us they, that they reached the point of arguing about it in Luke 9.46. Verse 2, He called a little child to him and placed the child among them. And he said, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. The greatest person in the kingdom is one who humbles himself like this child in verse 4. This is a question every follower of Jesus should ask regularly in retrospect. Is my confidence like that of a child who trusts the goodness of the Father? Or is my confidence in myself? See, too often we concern ourselves with our status here and now. Jesus represented a reversal of the world's values. He counted humility as the mark of greatness. Verse 5, And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. Verse 6, Causing to stumble. If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it will be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. See, Jesus identified himself with, with children and the lowly people whom the world ignored or rejected. To receive a child or a child in faith a new or immature Christian in Jesus' name, as his representative, is to receive Jesus himself. As representative of Jesus Christ, we need to be examples to others in the faith. Also, Jesus is emphasizing the seriousness of causing a weaker Christian to sin. It is better to have a large millstone hung around one's neck and be cast into the sea than cause a little one to sin. Pick up in verse 7. Woe to the world because of the, of the things that cause people to stumble. Such things must come, but woe to the person through whom they come. If your hand or your foot cause you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life maimed or crippled than to have two hands or two feet and be thrown into eternal fire. And if your eyes cause you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than than have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of hell. Jesus is teaching his disciples more about the problem of temptations. He makes an important point that we must be careful not to be the means by which temptations come to others. We need to exercise the kind of self-discipline that will rid our lives of whatever is causing a temptation to sin. Faithful dependence on God, regardless of how others treat us, makes us great in God's eyes. Pick up in verse 10, the parable of the wandering sheep. See that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I tell you that there are angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. What do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the ninety-nine on the hills and go to look for the one that wandered off? 
And if he finds it, truly I tell you, he is happier about that one sheep than about the ninety-nine that did, that did not wander off. In the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should perish. See, Jesus stressed the untold value God places on every person, regardless of that person's status by earthly standards. To illustrate this, Jesus told a parable about a lost sheep. Jesus declares that the shepherd will not be content until all the sheep are safe. He will leave the flock to look for that lost sheep until he finds it. We should humble ourselves and never cause others to sin. God never despises his people, but is always concerned to great lengths to preserve them. God does all he can to make certain that none of them will perish. Verse 15, Dealing with Sin in the Church If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along, so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen, even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. See, in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, he taught the necessity for making things right with a brother, whom one had offended before bringing an offering to God. He placed responsibility on the wrongdoer for bringing about the reconciliation. In this passage, Jesus describes a four-step procedure for dealing with the problem of being wronged by a brother. The first step is confront the fellow believer. Ideally, the two should resolve the problem without involving anyone else. Step two. If the first step fails, the offended believer is to take two or three other believers with him. The other believers can observe the attitudes and motives of the two and attempt to bring reconciliation. Step three. If step two fails, the matter should be brought before the assembled church. Here, restoration and reconciliation are to be the goals. Step four. If the church fails to bring harmony, the church is to exclude the erring believer from the fellowship because of his or her unwillingness to overcome the barrier with the offended believer. See, discipline within the church is necessary to avoid compromising the unity and testimony of God's people. Jesus taught that complaints between the believers must be reconciled and relationships restored. Pick up in verse 18. Truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there I am, there am I with them. Earlier, Jesus had promised Peter the authority to bind and loose. Here, the church's authority seems to apply also to the right to accept or expel members. The church's losing, loosing and binding, forgiving or refusing to forgive, carries the authority of God. The church's actions, however, to conform to Jesus' teaching and not to be arbitrary. The church has a responsibility of obtaining God's guidance in decision-making. And also, God promised to be with any two or three believers who come together to pray in His name. God, of course, is omnipresent. But he is uniquely present in every Christian gathering as his spirit indwells as his spirit indwells believers. See, the Jews believe that God's divine presence was with those engaged in studying the law. But Jesus promised to be that divine presence in the midst of those gathered to seek his will. Verse 21 The Parable of the Unmerciful Servant. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, 
Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but seventy-seven times. Peter here is probably acting as spokesman for the group, and he asked Jesus how often it was necessary to forgive a fellow believer. He generously proposed seven times, which went beyond the rabbinic maximum for forgiving three times. Jesus tells Peter he should be ready to forgive 77 times. 77 times can also be translated 70 times 7. 7 came to symbolize completeness and perfection. So we are to forgive not merely 7 times, but 70 times 7, which means limitless forgiveness beyond keeping count. Verse 23, Therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I'll pay back everything. The servant's masters took pity on him and canceled the debt and let him go. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, Be patient with me, and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This parable is only found in Matthew's Gospel. The parable teaches the importance of forgiveness. A king decided to settle accounts with his servants. One of the servants owed the king 10,000 talents, which estimates from several million to one trillion dollars, but he had no way of repaying the debt. The king ordered the debtor and his family to be his family sold along with all his possessions. And falling to his knees, the indebted servant promises promised to repay all he owed if the king would not carry out the intended punishment. The king took pity on the servant and canceled his enormous debt. But as the servant was leaving the king's presence, he met a fellow servant who owed him a small sum. You might expect the servant to forgive gladly the small debt since he had just had his enormous debt canceled by the king. Instead, the servant grabbed the man by the throat and demanded payment, refusing to listen to the man's pleas for mercy, and threw him into prison. Upon hearing what the servant had done, the king ordered him in prison until he could pay the debt. Let me read in verse 35. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Jesus applied this parable to the lives of his hearers. No forgiveness we might show can compare to the forgiveness already shown us by God. If we are not willing to forgive a fellow believer from the heart, we will find no forgiveness from God. An unforgiving person is incapable of receiving God's forgiveness. Three themes emerge from this parable. First, God's boundless grace. Second, the absurdity of spurning that grace. And three, the frightful fate awake, awaiting the unforgiving. Well, we learned a lot tonight, guys. And uh, chapter 18 was very good. 
you know, we learned that we needed our to, to humble ourselves to the status of children, and that we should, you know, be a, a good influence to other Christians, so that we do not cause them to stumble, because God takes it very serious when you cause weaker Christians to sin. We learned through the parable of the wandering sheep that God is willing that none should perish. And he will go even after the one. Even though he has all the 99, he will still go after the one. He never despises his people, but he's always concerned to go to great lengths to preserve them. And God does all that he can to make certain that none of them will perish. We also learned that we need to have discipline within the church because it is necessary so that we can avoid compromising the unity and testimony of God's people. Jesus is teaching that complaints between believers must be reconciled and relationships must be restored. We learn also about forgiveness and that we need to forgive our, our we need to forgive our brother an unlimited amount of times just as God does for us. God takes forgiveness very very serious. And if God is willing to forgive us for our sins, which is a much greater forgiveness, we did something much, much worse than any other human could do to another human, and yet He is willing to forgive us, should we too not be able to be able to forgive others their sins against us if God forgave our sins against Him? Three questions tonight, guys. First one, what should be our attitude toward a new or weaker believer in the faith? Second question, Jesus spoke strongly about the problem of temptation. What preventative steps might we take to prepare for times when temptation comes? And three, describe Jesus' qualities as shepherd. In what ways have you benefited from his shepherding in your life? Guys, tonight was a good chapter and hope you all learned something. And I'm looking forward to getting to chapter 19 with you guys. Um, hope you all enjoy and have a good night.